listening to the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Welcome back to another point of order on the cross-border interviews with Christopher Brown. I am joined again, as always, our weekly guest who just continuously wants to come back on the show because she loves me and she loves the show and loves you, the audience, and our listeners from coast to coast to coast. Sarah Biggs. Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me again. I know. It feels like we just saw each other literally 24 hours ago, eh? (laughs) So we have a lot to digest over the next hour, 45 minutes, depending on how much we can pack in. But I want to start with the morning after. 24 hours later, we still are digesting the biggest political news that come out of Alberta in some time. That is Jason Kenney resigning as premier after receiving 51.4 percent of the leadership review vote that uh, was held over the last few months. Sarah, we've had a day to digest this. What's your thoughts on what took place last night? And are you still jaw on the floor like you were yesterday? Well, I feel like this morning is a little bit the walk of shame. Um, The morning after it's I had time to think about it and digest it and really try to figure out what happened. And what happened is exactly what Jason Kenny wanted to happen. So he, you know, he didn't get the results and he seemed genuinely shocked when he was talking. And, you know, a lot of MLAs were shocked as well, but, um, Today, he managed to wiggle his way back in into convincing them that he is the guy that can keep the unity until, um, you know, the the executive of the UCP calls uh, for a leadership review. But there's no, so in their their, uh, convention, their bylaws, there's no set time. There's no defined time. So Mr. Kenny could very well leading the UCP into the next 2023 election. If the board decides that, you know, this is not the right time to trigger a leadership review. And that's what we're dealing with right now. We, we got Kennyed. Like when we say that he's the best organizer in the country, if not like in North America, then some like today's a perfect example of, you know, how his strategies can work. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because the I, I saw I was watching the coverage as the MLAs were walking into McDougal House this morning while they were getting ready for their caucus meeting. And Jason Kenny was tweeting out a, a picture of him wearing a shirt. I, I apologize. I don't remember what that what it was in remembrance of. But. Jason Kenney has be, for some some strange reason, Jason Kenney has been able to a resign as leader, make everyone happy, but at the same time, stay on as leader during a time where I think most people would look at him and say, okay, it's time to do the graceful thing and just walk away. We saw this in 2019 with Andrew Scheer. Andrew Scheer won, lost the election. He won the most votes, but he lost the election The caucus started to revolt because blackface had happened in the 2019 election. He wasn't able to win. And Andrew Scheer said, "Okay, I'm going to leave, but 
but I want to stay on as interim leader until a new leader is chosen. And the conservatives just flailed around for that time while they were waiting because there was no new fresh voice that the electorate wanted to talk to because it was the same old Andrew Shear party. Is this what's going to happen here in Alberta? Is Jason Kenney staying on going to even push the divide in the conservative party even further? So from the noise I was getting from caucus today and whatnot, there was a lot of divide. Um, so you have the Kenny lawyer, lawyer, lawyerists. Sorry, it's a hard word for me to pronounce. And then you have. If we were um, doing this in French, you would be doing like speed laps around me. So, Sarah, you're doing perfect. <laughs> so and then you have um, the people like, let's say, the Drew Barnes and Leela here, um, you know, Miss here this morning walked in. She was like, well, I think today's a good day because we're able to show the people who we really are. Didn't work that well. Um, well, from the reporting of the Edmonton Journal, I apologize for interrupting the reporting from the Edmonton Journal. I, I saw that she was considering putting her name in that ring for the interim position of the leadership because she wanted to put her name in and sort of be that transition candidate to be the Dave Hancock to Redford and Prentice. But like you said, wah, 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 we, we now have another X amount of weeks, months, days until the next leader is chosen in a leadership race, or if there is even one of Jason Kenney. Like Jason Kenny saved himself from Jason Kenny again today. It's like, you know, today I was kind of half joking on Twitter and saying word of the day is performative. That's exactly what we've been seeing in the past 24 hours. Last night was, okay, guys, here's what you wanted. I'm leaving. And then he probably woke up this morning and was like, okay, but no, I'll try to stay on a little longer because no one had his resignation on their bingo card last night. No one, you know, everybody, Lisa Young was redoing her chart last night. Like everybody was trying to figure it out. And, you know, they delayed that leadership review as much as they could. And Mr. Kenny really, you know, from internal uh, information we're getting, he really put a lot of pressure into a vote by mail instead of in person in Red Deer because too many people, we can't handle it. So, you know, that 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 leadership review that was supposed to be earlier in the year didn't happen until almost six months in when that was voted last November, October, November. And then, you know, and then we got, saw the board that got elected and all that and, you know, the I have a feeling that the board will be complying with Mr. Kenny's requests in the next few months because he. I don't know how he did it to convince them today that he was the option. Or maybe he just threatened them with a snap. Who knows? And be and like, you're all going to lose your seat in 30 days. We don't know what happened in there. I'm sure we're going to be hearing more in the next few days. Um, but so The one thing that I wanted to talk about tonight, and this is the thing that, or today, if you're listening to this later on, 
Jason Kenney set up his own demise here, did he not? Because he did not need to call this leadership review. If you remember way back when he called it, he said, I welcome it. Was this just not him setting up his potential doom here? Because I, I appreciate the fact that democracy rules and you are um, you want people to vote. But could he have no. not just said, you know what, I'm going to kick out the people who are pissed off at me? Because if you're not behind me, I'd rather see you on the opposite side than stabbing me in the back. No, because the, the leadership review vote was point on the agenda to the UCP convention back last fall. So it was up to the attendance and the member uh, to vote in favor to have a leadership review or to not have a leadership review. And it's that very vote that triggered the process. Then the board took some time. Then they went back and forth. Then they changed the way. Then the venue was canceled. Then they realized that, you know, there was a lot. And then we called for, I remember in, you know, podcast I was on, I was like, do you need to appoint an auditor to make sure if they want to make sure that we're seeing transparency in the process, they really need to show, um, because right now, you know, we don't, there is so much little faith right now into due process. Um, so no. So then he said, yeah, but it also shows, and we talked about that yesterday, how tight his bubble is. He is in the very, very tight and small eco chamber. So everything, so he sees what's going on, but everything that is being fed to him is positive. He's, you know, he's doing well. He's the best. Okay, this is the numbers we think. There was 63% that was thrown at us, um, almost from the horse's mouth. And you know, it's, I think it's a mix of his staff is not that great and they're very, very young and do not understand how it can impact leadership or. Well, because I, I appreciate you saying that because I remember 2018 and I think we'll take again, again, I like going back to 2018 here for a few minutes yeah. because we did it last night with Patrick Brown, but I want to do it today with uh, Doug Ford in 2018. When Doug Ford became premier, he had all these young people around him as well. And his party was nosediving in the polls. Once he took office, he was appointing the wrong people. He was saying the wrong things. He was not connecting with the people. And Jason Kenney looked like the adult in the room. And when COVID hit, I think that's when the change happened because the people like Doug Ford became sort of the adult in the room because he kicked out all his people that were causing him harm. He put in adults and he said, okay, let's start talking like the adults in the room as government. And Jason Kenney got, and I, I don't know Brock, I don't know Matt Wolf, so I do not want to throw them under the bus, but you started picking up the people who had ran the Andrew Scheer campaign coming out to Alberta and trying to bring the national politics into mm -hmm. provincial politics. And it just didn't work for Jason Kenney. And I think that might've been his first big misstep was he didn't bring the adults in the room who were Albertans who were truly 
on the ground who knew what the people wanted and were just relying on his old staffers from back in Ontario, Ottawa, wasn't he? Well, you know, if we compare Ford to Kenny for a second here, in 2018, Ontario voted for the Ontario PC. Then COVID hit. In 2019, Alberta voted for the UCP and Jason Kenny. What happened when COVID hit is that, um, you know, Ford is a businessman. He's a customer service. Sorry. He's a customer service guy and he can read the room. Um, you know, a lot of people were making fun of him when he was uh, shoveling snow inside of the street to try to help someone. But the guy always keeps in mind. And I would say that, well, in appearance, Ford puts his voters first and Kenny puts his personal interests first. So that's where the, there's a big difference between the two guys. Like Ford's not a politician. Ford was just like, oh yeah, let's get her done. It's a bucket <laughs> beer. Let's go. Um, and like, Kenny's been doing that for 25 years. Well, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned 25 years because I, I spoke to someone last night uh, who we're going to be having uh, some comments from hopefully later on tomorrow or this weekend. But yeah. there was no message of established politics is the way that we need to move forward. Doug Ford is a non-politician politician, right? He is not a politician in the name. He is, he is a, he's a businessman and he's a spokesperson. That's he why he can. He's a man of the people. Yeah. He is. And I, Jason Kenney has been around since 1988 or 1998 or whenever he was first 98. You will never see Jason Kenney do grandma's cheesecake in your cousin's kitchen back in Ontario. No, You'll exactly. never see that. He no. never tried to be relatable. The last time he tried to be relatable, he got his um uh, when he has got his uh, gas nozzle stuck gas, and gas nozzle stuck exactly. Like you cannot relate to Jason Kenny. Jason Kenny doesn't have kids. Jason Kenny does not have a spouse. Jason Kenny does not understand and does not understand you know the stress that everyday parents can be dealing with, you know, when it was so frustrating. And that's something that Ford should have done better too. Like, I'm going to give an example. The uh, childcare deal, it took so long, but I was like, why would you say no to a deal that brings in family back in families pockets at least $600 a month? And that they can re-inject into the economy, that women can go back to work whenever they feel like, and they don't have to feel guilty. Because I know a lot of people, one paycheck is daycare fees, and that's it. You know, it's very, very, but that's the thing. There's no, we relate less to Jason Kenny than we can. You know, driving around in the blue truck does not necessarily make you relatable. Um, Ford had more but it, but it did at first, though. Let's be honest. It it connected with because you have to remember we had the, there was four years yeah. of the NDP at the time, 
And here's this guy, blue Ford truck. He's driving around. He's connecting. Like I saw Jason Kenny work the room many occasions in Northern Alberta. And he knows how to do that. He knows how to connect. And he lost his way, I I think. He lost his way because also the people that he surrounded himself himself are extremely toxic. Like there is an environment of toxicity in that office that is a lot of people have never seen that before. A lot of people have never experienced that. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk for, you know, the staffers and all that, but it, it, it is a very, very, very different environment. Um, you know, uh, the other day I was at an event and there was not one women staffer in the room. It was all young guys, 20 to 25. Um, you know, there there is a disconnection with what Alberta is and what Alberta should become. And what is our day-to-day reality? Because he doesn't see it. Like Doug, Doug Ford's daughter, I'm not going to excuse her or anything, but like she tried to open a shop to sell cookies. You know, like that. she worked at a gym or a tanning salon or like Ford was saying, you know, well, my wife, my daughters, they can't wait to go back in the salon to get their nails done. He was like, I see it. But you couldn't hear something. Everybody had a good chuckle. They were like, well, okay. Yeah. You know, what he, you saw from Jason Kenny was I'm up with Tyler Shandro, Jason Nixon, and Sky Palace drinking around the table doing a work function. And yeah. it, it, Doug Ford knows how to apologize, right? Doug Ford yeah. is willing to say, you know what? I fucked up on this one, guys. I apologize. Oh, it's, I, it's, yeah. it's not what I wanted to do, but. It's what we tried, and I'm not going to be the. I'll be the first to admit I got it wrong sometimes. Jason Kenny, yeah. you never heard the words "I apologize." Like even during the open for summer, not open for summer, he didn't really apologize. He said we're seeing a spike, and then there was okay. We shouldn't have introduced the QR codes. It just there was no actual apology. Apology, right? Well, because he does not ever, I strongly believe that during the whole process of the COVID management, either you're pro-restrictions, we were not in lockdowns, either you're pro-restriction or against restrictions, Jason Kenny was not that much inconvenienced. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, when they, they closed school at the last minute on Sunday night, we're like, oh, we got to work. But then we were dealing, like I was uh, working for Crown Corporation back in the day. And um, I was a few weeks pregnant. I was super sick, like not feeling well. I was at home. I was miserable. My husband was working from home. He was working in the living room. I was working in the basement. And then tried to, you know, teach a second grader on top of everything. You're like, you're trying to explain to your boss, well, I need a certain amount of time because we cannot leave the kid by themselves. Right. There was a lot of things that they were not able to relate. And he was not able to relate because he never went through it. Like he doesn't know the difficulty that a lot of women had when they were pregnant, when we, we labored with our masks on, you know, he, he doesn't understand that. He's never seen like, just for an example, I was hospitalized for almost a week. I was not allowed to have visitors. I was alone. Um, you know, he is not able to relate to everyday 
Albertan are problems either against restrictions or against pro-restrictions. Um, it's and he did nothing to try to kind of balance everything, be like, I do get it, I really do. Or he could have, you know, make a call to employers to try to lower the workload or, you know, the, the I was in financial year end. My workload was not decreased, even if I had kids at home. Like there was no there's no sympathy, right? There was no empathy for the F. But and I and I'm gonna say this for Jason Kenny's sake because I know I I don't want to be the, I don't want it to be the show that attacks someone for their personal no. life. Jason Kenny made the choice to not have kids. Jason Kenny made the choice to not get married. That is his choice. He it just it puts you at a disadvantage when you're trying to connect with families who are going through this stuff. Like Sarah said, the schooling. The healthcare issues, because I can tell you going into the hospital during the height, the peaks of COVID during my cancer treatments, my husband wasn't coming in with me because A, he didn't want to get sick and B, we just wanted to like maintain a small amount of people who were getting exposed in the hospital as possible because he had to work, I had to work and it was just a pain in the butt. And I do, I do appreciate that our nurses and our doctors did as best as they could. And when I had my surgery in December, it was hard because I was in the hospital by myself, just there. And you can't imagine how lonely it can feel. And I feel bad for people in long-term care homes who were in hospital beds more longer than I was, who were just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting for something. And seeing a nurse come in with a massive mask on plastic bubble wrapped around them. It is the most uh, atrocious thing. And there was no connection. And and I don't lay that just on Jason Kenny. I'll be, I'll be upfront with that. There's a few other, there are other people that need to go around, but that we're talking about Jason Kenny today, but just, I'm just going to give you an example of how, but at the beginning, we, we didn't know what we were. um, I'm going to share something pretty personal here, but just to put it in context. So when I was 14 weeks pregnant, I was pretty sick. Um, at the beginning, we chose the the midwife route because I was like, well, if COVID gets too bad, I don't want to go to the hospital. If I can give birth at home, I will give birth at home. Um, and then I got extremely sick. I had to go in. Um, we have a kid. The grandparents couldn't watch it because we're all in restrictions. There is no bubble. Um, and they were like, um, so he brought me in, then they looked at my husband, my stepdaughter, and they were like, you can come in. So you got to go back in your car. And I was in a lot of pain. I was not doing well. I was like 14 weeks pregnant. And then, um, you know, they, they looked for the heartbeat and they couldn't find the heartbeat. So I texted my husband, can't find the heartbeat, but then they jabbed me with morphine and everything else. So I couldn't get up. I, I was totally out. So he had to sit in the car for a half hour, 45 minutes before I could say, we found the heartbeat. We're fine. But he was not even allowed to be in there. And I feel like this government really missed on the connections and on the way, you know, and I'm not trying to bash anyone, but if there would have been a little bit more of humanity in the way they have tried to manage things, and, you know, you keep strict measures, but you allow a little bit because when you can find your baby's heartbeat, it's one of the most 
horrible, horrendous feelings in the world. You just, it's, and then you start grieving in your head. You're like, oh my God, that's it. That's a miscarriage. But what what I'm trying to say is that to be able to lead individuals in a population into situations like that, you need to have the altruism that is necessary to try to figure out and manage the best way you can. And that's a lack of what we have seen. And I appreciate you sharing that story. It is challenging. And, story. and there are- But she's fine now. Exactly. She's, she's okay. She's Beautiful, she's chirpy little girl from time to time. I hear stories that you text me at like one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, today yeah. did not go, like yesterday didn't go as planned as anyone thought. Today didn't go as planned. Um, no. Last night, we expected a new leader today, a new premier today. So, well, a new premier elector, a premier in choice uh, today, but it didn't happen. We, you know we what have, I, do you know what ahead. I told myself? Do you know what I told myself this morning when I was thinking about, I was like, how could I not see this coming? Because I'm pretty good at trying to see their next move and, you know, read the room and, I was like, how did I miss this? And I was almost beating myself up today because we got Kenny. <laughs> you know, it's nothing happened to anything we could have put on the table. Nothing. Literally, worked. we are in the exact same position we were Monday morning. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Business is Brock still have his job. Bateman or Bateson, what's his name? The touch right, the one with the mug. Um, you know, he's still there and business as usual in the premier. Business office. as usual. But there was some announcement today, an announcement within an announcement. Uh Daniel mm-hmm. Smith, former leader of the Wild Rose, former Highwood MLA, former PC MLA in the great Exodius of 2013. We all or 2014, we all remember those days. Um, held a press conference at 11 o'clock Mountain Standard Time today or yesterday announcing, whenever you're watching this, uh, announcing that, yes, she is in and she's in to win. She is going to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party, the United Conservative Party of Alberta. She's taking a page out of every potential front runner who has ever announced very first. Re- announce first. Get the momentum behind you. Um, are you shocked or let, let's talk about the announcement first. Let's actually talk about the announcement first, because as it, was, much it, was as, nice, it was a very nice uh, background that she purchased on Etsy for two euros there. I, I'll give her kudos to that. Kudos to Marcus stuff today for, you know, <laughs> taking that one out. That was top notch. Am I surprised? No, because her name was circulating. I know that there's a lot of conservatives um, that are, you know, pushing for her. But again, we need to put everything back in perspective. What can I use? Okay, so I'm going to make a silly example. I'm going to use a little pockets of COVID tests that I have here. So this is your vertical. You have a box. This is left. This is right. Then you take your box, which is going to be my floss. Top is left. Bottom is right. And then you slide it. So you have different kind of left 
different kind of ride spectrum. You don't go 180, you go like this. And then it kind of changes colors. So you're gonna get purple, a little bit more blue, a little bit more red, you know, like yeah. orange or whatever you want to call it. So we need to remember that Daniel Smith is in the bottom, bottom section of the political spectrum of that, that axis. axis the axis, you know. yeah. So, and also uh, what shocked me today is that she was like, well, Kenny needs to apologize to the priest and all this. I was like, I don't know. Like, if he apologizes to the priest, that means he needs to go apologize to Kevin J. Johnston. Now those both, you know, all of those bozo eruptions that happened for the past two years. Like, I'm worried. So, and that's why I was asking last night, was Jason Kenny conservative enough? Yeah. Because the right spectrum on the axis is a smaller minority, but they are extremely vocal and they have taken over the direction the party is taking. So was Jason Kenny too centrist? According to Daniel Smith's speech today, yeah, absolutely. You should be apologizing to everybody and their cousins. Why? They were rules. They did not follow the rules. Well, therefore, there are consequences. That is, you have the freedom of making that choice, but there will be consequences. Like if you decide to, you know, not pay your property taxes, well, the city's going to come after you and be like, sorry, we need to take your house because you didn't pay your... Every action someone makes in society has a consequence. And it's like, it's almost if that concept has totally disappeared on the further right side of the spectrum. And, you know, we're hearing freedom, freedom, freedom. But don't, don't talk to them about abortion and pro-choice, though, because the freedom stops there. Oh, we, we'll talk about a little bit more freedom in the Conservative Party later on here. But I want to there's, there's a lot to unpack. There is. The one who I, I'm surprised I did not hear more from or more about today is Brian Jean. Brian Jean kind of kept to himself today. He made some comments to the media while going into McDougal House today. But overall... He was very quiet. I'm not sure if that's more of a he sees the writing and he sees that he technically didn't win. He technically did not defeat Brian, uh, Jason Kenney. He, Jason Kenney left on his own dime. Or maybe it's him just letting the others take the limelight for five minutes while he gets ready to announce his leadership. Bit. But the thing is that we need to remember that, you know, as an elected member of caucus, you had to keep it on the down low if he wanted this his plan to work. Because I would have not seen something going extremely well for him if he would have come out guns blazing right before walking to McDougall and be like, I'm going to take him down. Like, we're going. That would have not bode well with the rest of caucus. I think the... Oh, I would say a lot of them were in, still in Chung trying to digest last night. And the other part was like, let's go, let's go. You know, we're, we're doing this today. We're doing this you know? and we're doing it right now. But, you know, if, 
a lot of spectacle would have happened, I don't think it would have pulled well. It would have gotten even worse for them. So I, I strongly believe that he was advised to keep it. Keep it. Well, the only one who did say something of substance besides uh, Alila here talking about uh, saying that she was going to potentially throw her hat in the ring for interim leader is the man on the other side of the aisle, aisle, Mr. Drew Barnes, saying, hey, guys, I want back in only under the uh, the assumption that Jason Kenny is no longer a leader. Looks like Drew Barnes is going to be outside looking in for a few more months. If so when no. Jason if Jason Kenny does leave, what as he expects to, he released the letter saying that he is going to uh, resign once a new leader has been chosen uh, in a leadership election. If he does, uh, when he does leave, does the UCP open up and say, "Drew Barnes, we're so sorry we missed you for the last year," or do they have to keep him on the outside? Because if they bring him in, because we all remembered uh, Drew Barnes is quite a and I want to say this nicely, a firecracker in conservative politics. He yeah. is someone who will speak his mind and will not uh, be upset about speaking his mind. So does the UCP open arms that uh, man back up? Because I, I want to go back. To, uh, I'm just I just want to finish the statement here for a second. Yeah. If we go back to Mike Lee, if we go back to Donna Kennedy Glantz, when Redford stepped down, Jim Prentice opened armed. Hey, Mike from Fort McMurray, I know you had a prostitution scandal down in uh, Wisconsin. Come back in. Donna Kendi Glanz, I know you said some things about uh, Allison Redford. Come back in. Does that start the unification process around a potential new leader? So the way that I would see that the so right now we need to accept the fact that Kenny is the interim premier. He is the interim leader. Well, technically, he's, he's not. He's technically still leader and technically yeah. he's still uh, premier. Yeah. The bylaws are just so not written well. Like, guys, here's a message for the UCP for next leader. <laughs> Your bylaws and your convention needs a little bit more work because it's pretty loose and there's a lot of room for interpretation. But what we need to think about is, so, you know, yesterday how we're like, well, you know, if he if he wins, you know, we've been talking about if he wins this, he's going to be cleaning house. Mm -hmm. So my question is, he stayed and he's going to try to keep everybody united. Is he going to try to clean the house? I think we need to keep that as a possibility and a very strong possibility. Just like, you know, if he gets mad and the, the party's imploding, for all we know, he could show up Monday morning at DLG's house and be like, I'm calling it. I'm calling an election. It's going down with me. You know, so we need nothing. They will not welcome. I would. If he will comes back, Drew Barnes, I will make a $50 donation to your charity. Oh, thank you. Um, Let's do that. I, I, I will, I will take that. Oh, if, if, if he, I know if he uh, doesn't come back, I will make a $50 charity to your, if he does come back or sorry. So you're saying if he comes back, you'll donate to me. If he doesn't come back, I'll donate to you because I think he has to. 
I think Todd Lowen and him have to come back and be the unified party that they are so upset about. There's too many people that walked in today and said, let's get her done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take a, take a page out of Doug Ford's book. Let's get her done. Right. You know what? Uh, I know that I think it was Godfrey that called for a secret ballot today to decide. And I don't think it happened. Well, yeah, I would be surprised if if it didn't or if it did. People were worried about retaliations. And that's Jason where Kenny knows people, right? Jason Kenny still knows people, and he still yes, technically he has control of fifty-one percent of the people in the party. You saw that yesterday, fifty-one point four percent. While that is a bare majority, he, that he is controlled. a majority. Yesterday was under invite only. It was like they kept the media. So I was texting with a few media members last night. They were kept behind a white wall until Kenny was showing up because he didn't really want to see only a few MLAs and only a few ministers were invited. That is extremely telling. So I'm wondering, maybe he's going to try to clean the house, just like we predicted if he would have won. Because at the end of the day, he won. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's still there. Nothing changed. Yeah. Uh, one last uh, topic on this before we go to the federal politics of the day. And yes. that is contenders. Daniel Smith has put her name for it, saying she is in. She's in it to win. Jason Kenney is about to lose some cabinet ministers here, potentially, because there's going to be some who will be wanting to run for that leadership. Will Taze. he? What? I heard Taze again. Yeah. So the question is, will he take a page out of the uh the federal uh like the john Cretchen uh playbook the stephen harper not stephen harper because there was no time but the brian mulrooney playbook and say if you run you have to resign your cabinet position will he do that because or will he try to give a leg up to his supporters <laughs> let's let's flip a coin don't know um he might but again, the party is not known for their transparency. True that. Not known for making everything kosher. They're not known, you know, it's not. It, it, it is I what it is, right? We'll see it what It is happens. what it is. So it's the law of the land. So we'll see how the, the law is being laid. And yeah, I, I would say probably not. This is I'm gonna. I, I, this is my prediction for this upcoming leadership race, if there is one. We're going scorch earth this time. Brian Jean and Jason Kenny and Jeff Calloway played nice last time. They didn't talk. They they fought each other, but they didn't actually come out. I think this election is going to be more bloodbath. It's going to be a bigger bloodbath than the federal conservative leadership race that is currently ongoing because because no, let's not. It's mild, but at the same, but that's what I mean. It's going to be worse than what we're seeing federally because we see the anger on the stage during the debates. This is populist conservative against populist conservative. Who is the more populist in the group, and who is the more conservative of 
true conservative roots. And that's where I think it's going to be a bloodbath. And I think you're right. And uh, again, we need to maybe consider a party fracture if it goes too much on the right. Because if it goes too much on the right, you're losing Edmonton and Calgary. And you need to win the rural of Alberta. You need to win two out of the three areas, rural, Calgary, and Edmonton. If you win Calgary and Edmonton, you've won. If you win rural in Calgary, you win. So the NDP and the UCP are looking at the math right now. And if there's a split, it's good for the NDP. If there's not, it's bad for the NDP. <laughs> but again, so, not that. For me? It's not that bad for the NDP right now. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because she Rachel Notley held a press conference today. And I can't tell you I I can't tell you what she told told the people of Alberta. We're here. We're here to win 2023. That's not the message that you want to be talking about right now, is it? Like you said last night, I'm going to quote you here. I just not quote you, but I'm going to paraphrase what you said last night. You need policy. You need policy today to start getting people to talk about your party. And Mm -hmm. if you're just saying, hey, we're not those guys, are people going to start coming to you? Yeah. You think so? She did good. Today was a good. So what the, the, the NDP really needs to do right now is focus on voters, right? So they were like, today they went out as a... If an election was held today or in the near future, this is who you would get. We have this. We're focusing on this. We have experience in healthcare, renewables. Um, you know, she really tried. She did not. And Rachel he has done a very, very good job into trying to kind of segregate herself from the federal NDP because she's not a conventional NDP. The Alberta, and I'm going to anger so many people on the left right now, but the Alberta NDP is not your regular, normal NDP from Manitoba, Ontario. If you go talk to Andrea Horvath, the leader of the Ontario NDP, and you put them in the same room with Rachel Notley, you would think Rachel Notley was a progressive conservative in Ontario. Yeah, and you take Ms. Notley, you put her in Quebec, and I've said that many times. She's going to be considered like a conservative. So I think she's really, the way they tried to deal with the events from last night, I, I think it was well thought out. They put a lot of thought into it for, you know, when I said they need to do 180 and fast, I, I kind of seen this today. She was with her nominated candidates. She was like, this is what he has, municipalities. We have Drew Farrell, um, renewables. We have Salim and Najwan, um, health. We have this person, Acadia. You know, it's like she, it's like if she's put a lot of thought into her nomination process to make sure that everyone is extremely well represented, you know? Um, and I think she appealed, she almost appealed. She was not overly partisan. She said, we are going to be here for you, Albertans. We will listen to you. We will fix Eric. 
And it was not messages like, well, we'll try to balance the budget and we'll try to fix healthcare. It was like, we will fix healthcare because there's a lot of conservative out there waiting for a hip replacement. They're not happy about the wait time. It affects their lives. It affects their families. You know, so she really kind of left the partisan messaging on the sign. And she really, she's really, she's kind of doing a little bit like Doug, Doug Ford's doing. We will get it done. We will fix it. Trust us. We're going to be here for you and not our board. I just hope to God she doesn't use the get her done uh, slogan, because if she does, then we we have some issues that we need to talk about branding. Um well, I want to turn to I want to turn to federal politics because we were about 45 minutes in and we have two last yeah. conversations. Federal politics earlier this week, Ed Fast, the MP, the finance critic for the Conservative Party of Canada, said that he disagreed with Pierre Polyev, the the uh, one of the candidates in the leadership races. Uh, policy around the Bank of Canada and the Bank of Canada governor. Within about 20 minutes of that news article dropping, Ed Fast was out as finance critic and Candace Bergen released a statement saying he went on his own dime. He decided to withdraw so he could pay more attention to the conservative leadership race because he was the national chair for uh, John Charest. And then Ed Fast said, no, I basically got told to leave because there's no uh, dissent within the caucus right now. What did you make of the biggest news here in in Ottawa within the Conservative Party? I need to be very careful when I address those issues because I represent an organization that promotes environmental policies at the federal level. So I'm not able to take one side or the other, right? I kind of have to try to remain neutral. Um, so what I'm going to say is this, we are seeing the divide. I've been banging my drum on political divide and fracture for months. Again, at the federal level, we are seeing a fracture between the more reform and the more old fashioned, old faction PCs kind of dividing. If at fast, said what you said about the government of Ken and you, you know, firing him and crypto and all that doesn't make sense. It's, it's different uh, in lack of better terms. And he's being told to mute himself and to tone it down. So I have two questions. Is it coming from the leader and being like, you know, don't try to call out someone else. Or is it the leader being like, nah, you're not going to be attacking my person? I don't know. And that's that's the question that I've had for the last 24 hours as well is where is this coming from? Because I don't and I, I don't know the people behind the campaigns and it is what it is. I would assume that this yeah. is more of a. Okay, if you're in the front bench, you're being you're playing nice to all the candidates because we're all supposed to be kumbaya. But. Let's be honest. Yeah, see, if I, go ahead. Michelle Rampol right now is not a critic, right? She's not. She's totally removed. She got sidelined. But um, she didn't mince her words towards Mr. Poryev. Not at all. Uh, what, what did she call him this week? 
She didn't call him anything, but she said that. So for those who don't know, Patrick Brown. Yeah. So Michelle Rempel Gardner is Patrick Brown's uh, co-national campaign chair for his leadership bid. And the Patrick Brown campaign released a email to all party supporters. And in the, in a reply from one of the party supporters, he's uh, the uh, I don't know if it's a he or she. Um, the Conservative Party member who got the email said, you are not my uh, candidate. I think Adolf Hitler won the war. He had right ideas. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me right now. And then he went on to say, Pierre Polyev for prime minister. So yes. Michelle did not say anything about Pierre's team, but she had said, she had sent this off to the Conservative Party of Canada's uh, review to kick this member out because anyone who holds this view should not be allowed in our party. And I kind of agree with her. And then I read the everyone reads the comments on people's messages, especially when it's something like that. The negative hate that she got from that tweet. You don't air public law. You don't air dirty laundry in the public. You, you do this behind the back. The Conservative Party came out and said, we are investigating this. We are going to look into this matter and look into this member. If we need to kick them out, they will. I am surprised that this was a shot. This was a massive shot because yeah. she had blacked out the email address. She blacked out the name, but she had kept Pierre's name. In it. And this is me saying it, not Sarah. So anyone who wants to come at me, come at me, please. But she took a shot at Pierre this week and it landed because Pierre's people did not know how to respond to this, except you don't air dirty laundry in the public. And I kind of found that interesting for a campaign that was so on message that they weren't prepared for something like this. They you have to prepare for the the side missile that's going to come out of nowhere. Right. I will have to say that, you know, not all campaigns have a dictionary handy. <laughs> that's true hey and then well then earlier this week we saw that pierre polyev went on uh jordan peterson's uh, podcast and said uh he i i want pierre to come on the show if he wants to more than willing the invitation yeah. is open to all the candidates we are in negotiation with two of them to show up on the show so sarah and i will be sitting down with some of the candidates and we will be asking the hard-hitting questions live probably in june later the next month but uh, I want to say that if Pierre wants to come on, open invitation. We've reached out to his media people. We haven't heard anything back yet. Um, but he went on the show and he talked about the Anglo-Saxon uh, language that he speaks when he's at these rallies that he's holding. This pissed off a lot of people on the left, which understandable. They don't like Pierre to begin with. So you have to choose your words carefully when it comes to how you're speaking on record. And then... Uh... The day after, Mr. Peterson went after a uh, women of color, a curvy woman of color that was uh, on the first page of Sports Illustrated because apparently it does not meet her standards. So until, I'm just going to send a message of general interest out there. Guys, because Mr. Peterson has a very young male yeah. following. My dudes. You need to understand that sometimes the weight that we're carrying, it's because of pregnancy, it's because of medication, it's because we've been working too much, it's because we have to keep our job plus 
curricular stuff. Plus, we, we just don't have time to take care of ourselves. So before you start bullying everybody that is like over 125 pounds, think about it three times. And I, I, I'm just going to add on to this. And I know I don't have any skin in the game, but I'm going to say this. I know you say that they're trying hard to take it off. Some women, some men find plump sexy. So like it. You don't like it. Exactly. You don't like it. Don't look at it. I don't want to read an article because it's not appealing to me. I'm not reading it. Exactly. Why do we have to be so polarized about everything? That shows how fragile our society is becoming. Want to know why? Because we are just a polarized community. Are you okay? Are you crying? Yeah, I was just looking at the time without my glasses. Sorry. Oh, no worries. <laughs> okay. I want to turn to the last topic. Well, second last topic. I'm going to do a quick fire round for the last topic. But this one is the Ontario election. We are yeah. two, week, two weeks away from the Ontario election. We are going to be doing some coverage next week. We're going to be live on location and some of the ridings across uh, southwestern Ontario. So we're going to be there. Uh, the next time Sarah and I sit down will be election night, probably June 2nd, the Thursday, where we're probably, or the Wednesday, depending on if we're live that day or the Thursday, June 1st or June are we, 2nd. Are we going to Toronto, Chris? If you want, let's go to Toronto. Let's try and get to Toronto. Let's do it. Um, but we are going to potentially be, uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be live on election night covering the Ontario elections as they come in. Uh, we might bring some people in. We'll have some comments from and some uh, just uh, uh, candid interviews that we're going to be conducting over the next week. Um, today was a big day in the election. Earlier this morning, Ontario NDP leader uh, Andrea Horvath announced that she had tested positive for COVID-19 two weeks out before the election. Mike Schreiner, the Ontario Green Party, announced yesterday he was tested positive for COVID-19. This is the worst time to not be pulling a Aaron O'Toole uh, from the Aaron O'Toole playbook of setting up a virtual campaign in a hotel room where your candidate can go in and talk. Um, Doug Ford's leading in the polls. What's your thoughts on the, what's your final thoughts on the election before we potentially talk uh, next time? Well, the progressives in Ontario have a huge problem. They, they need to do something because if the- Not the progressive conservatives, the progressives the, on the, the left. Progressives <laughs> on the spectrum. So the people yeah. are not necessarily voting, like, you know, everybody else, but um, if they would get their collective uh, shite together, they would be governing and Doug Ford would be sitting in a position. So Ontario, you have a very, very big problem. Um, but, you know, I've, I've worked on- campaigns during COVID and we got someone elected during COVID and it's hard. And we also need to remember that very often your money is coming in within the last two to three weeks uh, during a campaign. It's extremely hard to manage. It's extremely hard to deal with. And the connection is not the same. So we'll see if their communication team is able to turn around and make their magic work. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Does he have COVID yet? Does Del Luca has COVID yet? They do not. Doug Ford, they have no, well, I shouldn't say that. They have not announced that they have. 
Uh, on Monday night, they had a leadership debate that we did not cover because we were exhausted from the week before. And this week has been just a fun time as well. But Del Duca, Ford, Schreiner, and Horvath were all on stage with Althea Raj and uh, uh, Steve Bacon from TVO. And only two of them have actually tested positive. So are we potentially going to see the other two? I don't know. Something's weird. So everyone know I attended a conservative leadership last week and there was a lot of freedom in that room. And my dudes, I, I, I didn't catch COVID and I've been testing myself, you know, on a regular basis because I have my daughter's 18 months old. She can't get vaccinated. Uh, my nine years old, uh, my 10 years old. Now she's fully vaccinated. I'm triple vax. My husband's triple vax. But I was like, I'm so getting COVID. I was like, I, I'm so getting COVID. It's, it's going to happen. I <laughs> did not catch COVID. You squeaked I, it by. Good job. I, I'm <laughs> shocked. So, you know, everybody's going to be like, oh, we got COVID. And Doug Ford's like, I'm going to get her done. <laughs> so we'll see what's going to happen. But Ford's going to go back in because I know some pop- people helping him in the background for policy and he's got good people behind him. Yeah. My last topic I want to talk about here. Actually, I should say this. I think it's going to be an interesting last two weeks of the campaign. This whole COVID-19 has thrown a loop into the campaigns. And I honestly think that the progressives, if they're going to win, if they're going to start chipping away from Doug Ford, they need to hit hard on COVID because I know there are some conservatives who think this is done and people don't want to talk about it. My parents have COVID. I, I'm not sure if I should say that out loud, but they have been suffering uh, because I was supposed to be going back uh, this weekend and staying a few days with them. But that has thrown a wrench into my plans over the next few weeks. So next week. So I'm going to be hoteling it from on Toronto to uh, Ottawa. So while you may think COVID is done, it is coming back in there. We are about to enter a new wave because we've been letting our uh, senses down. But please, please, please take uh, caution. But on the note of taking caution, Quebec, as we were recording this, as of uh, Thursday at about 7.55, Global News just reported that there are two confirmed cases of monkeypox in Quebec. Does this now change uh, what COVID means to the world? And are we about to go into a new pandemic of monkeypox? I don't want to say that out loud because I really hope it doesn't happen. But could it could it potentially change the name of the game when it comes to leadership races and how the healthcare no. system is about to handle? No, because uh, monkeypox, <laughs> monkeypox. Uh, you know, when you have it, you see it. It's easier to be called on it. You know, yeah. you can isolate better. You can take different measures. And uh, there are some vaccinations. There are some treatments that are very effective. Um, just like against a chicken pox uh, that can be used. It's not official yet. So uh, disclaimer, I, I trained as a nurse, so I've been keeping an eye on it. I didn't know. I know they had 17 under investigation cases. I was not sure if they had confirmed cases yet. Um, as of tonight, but, two confirmed cases in the province of Quebec. It's not going to change anything. Like we, so covid is pretty big. COVID did a lot of damage. But chicken, why do I keep saying chicken pox? The monkey pox. Because monkey pox sounds like it's something out of like an anime film. 
like monkeypox. <laughs> like it just like I don't um, know what. I think we need to be careful because we're so exhausted from the past two years and a bit now. We're we're tired. We're exhausted. Like. I'm the first one to say, like, I've been a little bit careless in my, when I'm alone in my outings, I'm like, well, I don't care anymore. I, you know, if I get it, if I get it, I'm triple vax. I'm somewhat healthy. I have an immune condition, but I'll be fine. Um, but, you know, there's people like you that needs to be protected. But um, I think that we need to be extremely careful and we need to keep in mind that those cases, you don't see who has COVID. You don't. But people that has monkeypox, it's pretty like, like monkeypox is not a novel disease. It's been around for a while. It's not a novel coronavirus that we don't know how it mutates the protein spikes. We do not know. Are probably going to be able to come up with a vaccine pretty quick because it's very similar to you know chickenpox. <laughs> Camelite so, lotion, know. and that's it. Oatmeal, oatmeal Take back. Take a bath with baking soda. I don't want to diminish it, but I don't think we need to. It's not on your radar of something that's going to affect 2022. Do you? Is it? I hope not. You know, know, we got a pretty nice backyard because we've been backyard vacation for the past two <laughs> years, but I, I kind of want to go, you know, well, you know, out of the country a little bit. We'll see, but. You know, it's like SARS in yeah. 2004. It's like well, a lot of a fun year. <laughs> um, Sarah, we are out of time. We are at the hour and two minute mark. Thank you so much. Do you have much. the rapid fire thing? Uh, that was my rapid fire for monkeypox. Oh, I was going to okay. see what you're going to talk about. Unless you want to do a rapid fire. I'll just ask you random questions if you want. Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay, what, what, okay, here we go. Next week, last week of the full campaign, does Doug Ford take a hit? Is there an October surprise in the Ontario election? No. No. Uh, oh, hold on. There's an article that came out today about Doug Ford giving a big contract for masks to a religious organization that we shall not name because it is extremely contentious. But do I believe it's going to affect him? No, because the progressives don't have their proverbial shit together. Who becomes the new leader of the official opposition, Ontario? Liberals or NDP? Liberals. Do the Greens make any gains? No, Greens are conservatives with power panels, with solar panels. Back in, back in Alberta. What happens next with the leadership race? Do we, how many candidates are you expecting to announce for a potential leadership race between five and 10 or less? Less. So you think less than five. Okay. And then I want to turn to Saskatchewan here for a quick second. Jerry Ritz, the former minister of agriculture for the federal conservative under Stephen Harper, longest serving agriculture minister announced this week that he is forming a party in provincial politics with a few members of the right of the Saskatchewan party called the United Saskatchewan party taking a page out of Jason Kenney's playbook. Will they be a factor going forward against the, the Saskatchewan party under Scott Moe? God save the queen. <laughs> and with that, my last question to you this is this. Monarchists are coming west tomorrow. 
They are, well, on Friday, they're up in Yellowknife, Prince Charles, uh, Camilla, uh, Duchess Camilla, I don't know how her proper title is. Is this shoring up support for when he officially becomes King of Canada? I think you should just skip and give it to Will. You heard it here first from the cross-border interviews. Thank you, Sarah, so much for doing this. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Like I said, we will be off all next week because we are back in Ontario. We will be back the following week with some great new episodes. We have some great interviews with a former conservative MP, a former liberal MP. Our entertainment rundown, Sarah and I will be back to chat about the uh, provincial election. And then we might just randomly throw in a provincial election or provincial uh, politics one as well, just in case. So with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Have yourself an excellent day. And remember, guys and girls, go have a conversation with somebody. Get out from behind that social media and talk because it does make our society better. Talk to you later, guys. Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown was produced and edited by Miranda Brown Associates Incorporated. To learn more about us, visit crossborderinterviews.ca. 